fun and alluring to me. And um, I think that people are trying to like click the easy button when we just make it uh, all limited something or other. And like, oh, there's only 25 people for these 8,000 deer. That means I've got to get my 200 inch deer. Um, that's also a bill of sale that people can't cash at the bank of mother nature. As I like to say, it's just like not going to happen. <laughs> yes. No, a hundred percent. The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Welcome to the Rockcast, everyone. My name is Travis Hobbs. Some of you have heard me as a guest recently with Robbie Denning. I'm going to be doing a little hosting every once in a while on subjects I love, which will mostly have to do with mule deer content. Um... We have a lot of good upcoming episodes uh, everybody's kind of working on. Um, it should be kind of fun to see this uh, develop, take off. Um, if you guys have any suggestions, comments, um, criticisms, I'd love to hear anything you guys have to say. Um, as many of you are aware, the Wyoming deer and antelope deadline is coming up quick. So that's going to be March 31st, which would be next Wednesday, I'm recording this. Um, Tuesday, the 23rd, it's going to take a few days to get it out. Um, Wyoming's probably is my pro. It is my favorite state to hunt in. Uh, it's been a hot button state with the recent winter. There's been a few different changes, and I wanted to get someone on the inside, so to speak. Um, a guy you're all familiar with, Mr. Jaden Bells of the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. Jaden's a wealth of knowledge. Um, he's a rock slide member and I love that Jaden always has a positive outlook. So welcome to the podcast, Jaden. Well, thanks, man. I, uh, I'm really excited to chat with you today. Uh, you said I always have a positive outlook and, uh, I feel like in the whole sea of all the negativity, I'm just trying to find the little bright spots for everybody so that we don't just all hang up our guns and throw away our bows <laughs> for the year. Cause it makes you feel that way sometimes when you see these headlines and, um, you know, there's, there's always, you know, a silver lining in some places. So, um, in the least, I mean, at least people know where my bias is coming from when we're looking at this stuff. <laughs> Dude, I love it, man, but it really is awesome. <laughs> it's like awesome. Like, I love the things you share on, you know, Instagram and things we discuss and you always really do have a positive outlook and it's true. Uh, I think this year more than, well, in a long, I don't know if I've heard so much doom and gloom for a long time, you know, just, and it seems like it's kind of been all across the West where winter was rough. Um, I'm kind of in the heart of things. So I'm hearing a bunch of stuff and, you know, and just the different, like you said, news headlines. Um, it's been just a hot button topic at, at all through, you know, different commission meetings and um, just, you know, talk amongst sportsmen it's definitely been a hot button thing and it's funny because up north where winter was bad it, that's where it's really i think you're hearing all this doom and gloom but then our neighbors to the south they're just on cloud nine they're just super excited some of that southern utah arizona um, new mexico 
Southern Nevada. It's going to be, it's going to be unbelievable for them. So no, this is cool, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things. And, and I guess this, this goes back to like the idea that like, we can't always be just griping when we get a hard winter, when everywhere South of us and actually everywhere in Wyoming too, has, has had this like drought for the last three years, four years. So it's like, you do have to have some yin with the yang. And unfortunately this one stings a lot, you know, but at yep. the same time you can't just have drought forever either. So, you know, like you're saying, those guys down South, uh, anyone hunting deer in those Southern States and even Southern Colorado and stuff, they, they're poised for a really banner year, especially for antler growth. But I also think so are our States, you know, if you can find an alive deer, chances are he's going to throw the best rack that, he might be able to as long as he's got the age yes 100 percent. no i and you know and like the drought issue you know you wonder i just think of all the different brows like out on the winter range you know this drought's hit hard it's been up here too you know it's been serious it's been it's really tough on stuff and it's I mean, right now, as I'm recording this, I mean, the rain is pouring at my house. Like, I, hopefully you guys don't hear that in the background, but it's like pouring. It's been, we've had a great spring. Um, it was long, but I mean, so far it's been, we've still been getting storms. Uh, it's been pretty cool, really. And I think we should be set up. I, I really hope in the next few years, I think it's really going to set us up for some really fat does, hopefully some good fawn survivability and we see a, a blooming herd basically that's what i'm hoping to see so well that's the other thing i think we always forget is like these things are moving in five to ten year cycles right like everything that's happening right now like if you're wanting to hunt, hunt bucks the bucks you want to hunt are alive right now you're yes. not going to have like a new big crop of bucks until five six years down the road so it's just you got to be thinking about that big picture and someone was like, well, I, I want to turn in my tag this year uh, and not hunt. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's a big buck hunter. Like, generally speaking, he's a big buck hunter. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, if you're going to turn in a tag because you don't want to kill a young buck, you're going to want to do that in four years when there's no older bucks to chase, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, um, that's a great point, man. That's, it's such a good point. Um, I think, and you know, in Wyoming specifically, the... <laughs> It, I, I've heard it's just been well, Jaden. Before I guess we dive, tell us about the Wyoming um, Wildlife Federation, kind of what you do, and just in case people don't know, can you kind of talk about that too, and like just kind of an overview of the federation, and kind of just give us the rundown, basically. Yeah, you bet. So in 1937, you guys might have heard of this thing called like the Pittman Robertson Act and the Dingle Johnson Act. Um, both of those things helped fund a bunch of game and fish agencies and try to manage wildlife. And at the same time, uh, there needed to be somebody who could kind of play referee between the general public and the agencies at the time. Um, and that in Wyoming ended up being the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. So basically we were trying to tell people like, Hey, so we got these new things called hunting seasons. Uh, <laughs> here's how they work. Uh, and I know I sent you a, a photo of some of these old seasons back in like the forties. Yes. Um, and it's funny, they looked actually similar, uh, to what they look like now with some real short dates in some places and then some real crazy long place dates in some places. But regardless, the Federation stepped in to try to help 
get all these hunters on board with what we were trying to do as far as conservation and hunting at the same time. Um, and nowadays, you know, we work in kind of the variety of things. Kids education is big for us right now. Um, but we also do a lot of advocacy and, uh, my better half is also on the staff here and she works at the legislature, uh, for the entire, uh, session every year, trying to get good bills through, um, and, uh, make sure bad bills don't come through for hunting and angling and, and wildlife. So if you see stuff like the wildlife conservation plates in Wyoming, those were kind of some of the efforts that Jess worked on. And as a result, the Federation worked on. Um, and my job in particular is kind of being the communication arm of the Federation. So I try to keep everyone in the public uh, aware of what we have going on. And gosh, some days it feels like I'm not touching a soul because there's, we got a lot of mixed messaging going on right now, but, uh, gosh, it's, it's uh, a good cause. At least I, I started as a volunteer and then when a job position came open, I took it over. So I've been uh, with the Federation as a, since uh, 2018 as a volunteer and since 2020 as a, as a staff member. Well, that's awesome. So, and can you tell me, like, I know there's um, federations in various states. Was that kind mm -hmm. of a, was there, was that like, I know like Idaho has one, for instance. Um, it, it, do you, is there like, are they related at all or tied together? Is it kind of a completely separate thing? So each one was kind of built on the same model okay. when they all like pro cropped up. But the, funny thing is like each state has its own style to say it nicely there's some really green federations out there gotcha and we don't like really associate with those yeah uh but then you've got some who are more middle ground and then some that are really pro hunting like i consider idaho really pro hunting you've got brian brooks over there who if you guys know argali it's brad brooks's brother um and guys like that you know so they're yeah they span across the spectrum and it's you know, if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, I've got a federation in my state. Well, you should probably dig into what they're all about, too, because some are very different than what we do. Well, I'm really glad you mentioned that, too, because I that I wanted to touch on that was like I've seen some <laughs> of quite a variety of uh, different styles from like the different states. And one thing I can say is like Wyoming, like from my standpoint, I've been super impressed with what you guys do. Um, I've really appreciated the message that you guys kind of portray and i've kind of followed along with uh some of the bills and that kind of thing that we're going through wyoming and i i was it was awesome i i think uh, you guys do a fantastic job and and just why we have people um do you want to just mention uh you guys have a fundraiser or uh mm -hmm. could you bring that up and just kind of talk about like what the funds do with that or what it is and how it works and yeah yeah, so ever since I've been a real active member on Rockslide, I post every year I post our commissioner's tag raffles to the to the Rockslide forum. So it's up there now. Um, and that commissioner's tag basically allows the person to choose any deer or elk or pronghorn hunt that's available in the state in 2023. So like there's a tag for it, you can go hunt it with a commissioner's tag. Um, this year the the we call it the Dream Bay Commissioner's Tag Raffle is fifty dollars a ticket. Uh, we've got a cap of a thousand uh, tickets and I have never sold out of them though. So uh, the funny thing is a lot of these hunts you can go win. They're like the stuff where there's no random tag given out. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like if you want a chance to go hunt something crazy, like uh, some of these super low tag bull elk hunts that are late, if in Cody, um, a late deer hunt or something like that, uh, you're going to want to get a commissioner's tag. So you have a chance. 
Um, the other thing is all of the funds for this are going to go back to uh, habitat projects. So uh, we're doing a bunch of work down in uh, the Green River area, uh, trying to improve some of the access for boats and stuff to like get people in and out of the water so you're not wrecking all of this like the only winter range habitat for yeah, miles for sure. you know <laughs> you've never been down in that stuff uh as well as some other habitat projects fence removals beaver dam analogs and stuff like that so it's all going to habitat work uh as far as that tag is concerned cool. it's on rock slide so if want, someone wants to look for it it's a uh, commissioner tag raffle 50 tick 50 dollar ticks I love it, man. And then, and like your Instagram page or Facebook, you guys have all that stuff. Yep. Yep. That's just all at Wyoming wildlife. So it's pretty easy to find us. It's a camouflage pronghorn on a white background. So if it looks like that. That's us. Well, that's awesome. And uh, like, and Robbie's mentioned it and like me and Robbie have, we've talked about it on past podcasts and it's so important. These conservation organizations, there's so many, organizations doing good things and i think it's super important for everybody to try to join up with uh these conservation organizations try to support them um it just i don't know it there's a long-term payout that i think it's great to have people advocating for sportsmen in a variety mm -hmm. of ways it's just it's really good stuff but i guess uh that that handles that and uh maybe we can jump we'll jump right in on this so like we've talked about um, the winter, it was it's on the radar of a lot of people, um, and for good reason. Uh, I think, you know, it's arguably one of the hardest winters we've had since the early '90s or '80s, and I mean, honestly, in some places, record breaking of all time. Um, Jaden, maybe we start with I don't know, like a ten thousand foot view of kind of what your perception is of the winter and like how it affect hit wyoming and then maybe after that we kind of just dive into the weeds a little bit yeah that sounds good man so i think everything that we know so far is that the winter had some really devastating impacts in pockets right mm -hmm. like you'll find pockets where there's like you know a bunch of deer and a bunch of pronghorn all stacked up together because they just ran out of food and they just starved to death in the winter like there's, uh, you'll hear people who have been out there um, shed hunting outside of Kemmerer, Cokeville, LaBarge, that kind of country in Wyoming, and it's it's not looking good. Um, I was just talking to the biologist out of Bags as well, and he's really nervous, especially for the pronghorn down there. Um, and, you know, that's, it's, it's really, those are some of the high, hot spots where the winter was the hardest. Um, but then you'll see other places, other parts of the state, you know, especially if they had a lot of wind like we had up here outside of Lander uh, or even in like the Dubois, the area, the Cody area, um, Gillette, you know, those places didn't get um, they either got wind and there was food available or they didn't get the snow precipitation. And those animals actually did pretty good as far as overwinter survival. So it, you can't really look at it as like uh, this whole blanket statement um, as to what happened across the state. Uh, but it's important to drill in. Like if people are focused on hunting GNH, um, even within that, you should look at how things happened and how things went down in different sub areas there as to determine whether or not like that, those critters you hunt are going to be impacted, you know? Hey, Jaden, can you, so the wind thing, it's so interesting. <laughs> um, I, I didn't really, 
it's <laughs> I it was kind of the first I guess the first time I've really ever heard um, people talking you know about the wind and especially in Wyoming and some of these winter ranges and it completely makes sense. But like, I mean, from the outside looking in, I think a lot of people are like, well, wait, you had a crazy winter and then you want a bunch of wind on top of it that should, you know, like would almost be harder on the animals. But can you kind of talk about that? I know it seems dumb, but I just want everybody to understand because I think it, it's important to kind of talk about like the importance of wind on a lot of these aspects. Yeah, and here's the exact example that we have is like the caller data to back this up. So I'm not just blowing smoke at people yeah. here. Um, so there's a herd of antelope that they had collared in area 64, 61, and 60 in uh, Wyoming. So if you got to pull up your maps or whatever to see what I'm talking about, it's um, in the northern Red Desert. They had 33 pronghorn that were collared up there. And by February, over half of them pronghorn had died. But the half that made it and and the half that made it over the mountain dropped down off to beaver rim which is just some ungodly distance north of where they normally hang out it's like 30 40 50 miles north of where they normally hang out they got onto some windswept slopes up there and like the mortalities essentially stopped as soon as they got to that winter range where everything had been blown off so you know that's like that's the number one example um that they have that they're saying like Look, you're just not seeing if those animals can get to the spots where it's there's food, they'll make it. You know, the temperatures aren't what kill the animals as much as it is just not being able to eat. Yeah. Um, so basically yeah. what you have is like these ridges where winds coming through, blowing this deep snow, moving it off. So animals like it basically giving them access to food. And like I I didn't. I don't know. It's interesting. I never really thought about it much until I think we were talking about it this winter. And I was like, man, that makes perfect sense. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of interesting to talk about that and, you know, the snow depths and, you know, and then I think a lot of people too, don't ever realize, um, it's, it's how hard that snow sets up too. Um, it's not just the depth of snow, especially for mule deer, it, it really, a lot of it's like how it was layered in there. Did it get warm and then cold? So you got like a crust layer that they can't really get through. Like all those things come into play. And it's it, it's interesting to talk to some of these biologists and like when they're talking about the winter impacts, how those little things that you, I guess my head, I always think snow depth, snow depth, snow depth, but there's so mm -hmm. much more to it. Dude, I totally agree. And I think that partially is why it's all pocketed, right? Because you just mm -hmm. get some – it's just like your country. Like if you're in a high valley and there's just no way for them to get out of the valley, they're, they're kind of screwed. Yep. But if you have these long connected like downward slopes, they can get away and, and or get to some maybe some places with uh, a little bit better or more advantageous snow. I was coyote hunting in December, eh, it might have been early January, and I was just up to my crotch in snow coyote hunting, but there were deer all around me, and they looked like they were, you know, getting down to this sagebrush and bitterbrush that was waist high. So maybe, you know, those are things you got to consider. And I think it's that's the hardest part is, like, you can't make a blanket statement. You kind of have to be on the ground looking at this stuff to understand what these animals are trying to make a living on. 
for sure. So maybe we dive into like, so, and I'm going to keep saying antelope because it's hard for me to break that, but let's talk about like the pronghorn and kind of, I mean, <laughs> Wyoming's on a lot of people's radar. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. one of the greatest pronghorn states in the country. I mean, it's a lot of people mm-hmm. go there has provided so much opportunity like there that's what i love about wyoming is whether you're really wanting to get into like trophy hunting and wanting like these super um hard to draw tags with lots of big bucks or you have some of these places that uh really it's pretty easy to draw tags can you kind of just like a rough overview of kind of where areas were affected and where just kind of get into the nitty-gritty a little bit on on the antelope and kind of how it's affected yeah absolutely and i think it's important to also frame to folks like what's been happening the last couple years is like because of the drought pronghorn in particular you think about where they live it's usually the most dry like arid stuff that that's around um so what they end up doing is in these drought years they have a hard time raising their two fawns a year and stuff and like you'll see really poor survival over an extended period of time. So um, the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, we had a high amount of uh, tags in 2019, or actually 2020. So we had 84,000 tags sold. Nope, nope, nope. I'm sorry. I'm looking at deer. Um, We had a total of 28,000 tags sold. Um, in 2022, right? Yep. Um, but that's down from 46,000. That's more than half of 2019, right? So we're, we're having a downward trend in tags already, mm-hmm. and then you get this butt kicker of a winter. Yep. So um, basically, you have to keep in mind that we're less than half of the amount of tags that were given out just a couple of years ago, four years ago. And and this um, year, can you kind of yeah. where where are we sitting at for twenty? What what are we sitting at twenty twenty three? How many tags are going to be issued? Uh, it's going to be somewhere around twenty thousand, maybe eighteen thousand, something gotcha. like that. So I don't have the exact number, but about another ten thousand tag, roughly ten thousand tag reduction from last year to this this next year. Is that about right? <laughs> Yeah, so basically from 46,000 in 2019 to to 20,000 or so in 2023, man, that's a big big steep fall fall oh, off man, in tag tags available. That's mega. And I think I know a lot of guys and I think most rockslide um listeners are probably a little more serious than this, but I know I've just heard, you know, from different friends of mine that aren't really so serious about it and they've made comments like oh yeah point creeps just out of hand and they don't really know and they've been putting in for the same unit just because maybe they've they went there in the past and they're really not seeing this downward trend on tag allocations so (laughs) they're they're just thinking well why is it getting so hard to draw tags but this is important to outline and you should really try to do your due diligence if you're really wanting to go hunting this year um and this is going to go for deer and and pronghorn to make sure you understand like tag allocations where the cuts have been made because it's going to be and i think some of these units Jaden, like can you there's some of them that are even like a big drastic cut isn't that right yeah man and a lot of that again i kind of mentioned those units but 60 61 um down to bags 57 53 
that whole country and then over to Pinedale and Kemmerer, like that whole country was kind of the epicenter. Mm-hmm. Um, they also had a big, uh, they call it M bovis, but it's a big, um, uh, disease die off in there too. And yeah, on top so, of all the winter kill. Yeah. Which is not good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking, uh, a unit that maybe had 200 buck tags, maybe had 75 buck tags now. It's a giant um, reduction. If you had, yeah, it's a big, big reduction. If you had uh, 50 to 100 pronghorn doe tags, they might have just totally cut those, right? So um, basically, especially those people who are like, ah, I just like to get a doe tagging and have a a meat hunt in Wyoming. It's like, that's not really going to be likely in most of Wyoming this year. So um, yeah, basically, if someone's already had this on their applications, anything in the 80s, uh, as far as units are concerned, you should look at anything in the fifties and sixties. You should also look at. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And, and so, and then that bat, so the bags country, um, mm-hmm. Robbie, so me and Robbie did a podcast, Robbie's done a podcast, um, talking with, um, I can't remember the guy's name, a biologist out of Colorado, but anyways, talking. So, and we brought it up. So that Northern Colorado, um, kind of on the Utah. So where it meets Utah, Wyoming, that's all. So bags would be kind of, what is that central part of the state way down South, uh, next to Colorado. Um, so that's kind of that whole, that area where, you know, south of there in Colorado, they're seeing um, issues too with winter mortality. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just right in that zone. So I definitely think just interesting for people to be considering all this. Um, I think a lot of people. It's kind of funny. I've talked to a few friends about it um, that just like I said aren't really serious hunters, and I, I I brought up some of these antelope reductions, and I think they were really caught off guard. Like because I think a lot of people think antelope are down in the desert they don't winter kill you know but it's it's mm-hmm. definitely affected them and then the disease issues on top of it that's a yeah that's a big concern um do you want to jump into deer i think that's probably going to be um a lot of people are going to be i know it is crazy the amount of people that have been asking me what are you going to do this year what are you going to do in wyoming what should i do with these maximum points i have Mm-hmm. Um, I will, should I burn my points this year? Um, yeah, just, it's been a hot button. I know I've answered a lot of questions on it. What, uh, do you want to just dive into that until maybe we'll talk with the Wyoming range first? Yeah. And I, I should back up and, yeah. and I want you to frame, frame me up here a little bit because basically like three quarters of all of the opportunity in Wyoming are for these like no name regions that people don't really think about very often yes and then like a quarter of the opportunity is in these like big trophy areas g h and you could probably throw k in there mm-hmm. um so i think it's worthwhile noting that like you know the g h and k are definitely where people expect these big trophy bucks right mm-hmm. and um there's certainly they have that kind of consistency year to year and then the rest of the state you know is a little bit hodgepodgey as to whether or not you're going to get good top end um, bucks on a year to year basis. So I think what people should identify is first, like what they're actually after. If you're like, if you're like Travis and you're like trying to kill a giant um, and that's kind of like just your goal, then, you know, the stuff that got hit really hard this year is going to impact your hunting experience. But all the other parts of the state, you know, it's going to be, 
it's like I said, more of a hodgepodge. So, um, you know, like you're saying <laughs> that G H K stuff, man, like 50% adult survival, um, this year and basically uh fawn crop that's, uh, it's not zero, but it's, it's getting pretty close to it. Um, so that's where, especially in four or five years, those mature deer are not going to be around. Yep. Um, but man, like it's still the, like, it's still some of the best habitat in North America for mule deer. So if you're looking for a giant, like, yeah, they're, they're, you're probably going to be some giants killed this year, you know? No, for sure. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, uh, so I, and I brought this up to you. So in, after the 2017 winter, um, like going back into Wyoming and it's somewhere I try to hunt on a regular basis. I'm trying to be in there all the time. I always try to go in 2017 after that, uh, it was a rough winter. It really was. Um, it was a big difference. Like the amount of deer, it was tough to see, but man, I was still seeing some really good bucks in there. And in fact, I was able to kill, um, a buck that had, been really famed on the winter range um he ended up being uh 200 and i think he was 14 inches um it's pretty cool man to be able to pull it out on a really rough year and i also killed another really large buck that same year in idaho um in another place that got impacted hard i i definitely think what's kind of <laughs> i hear so many people say well, maybe I better sit out this year. And I'm kind of on the side that it might be better to go hunting um, in the next couple years because I worry, like you said, what's five years going to do from now? What's, you know, four to five years out from now? I think it could be even harder than what we might see this year. I think there's going to be some, there is going to be some survival. There's going to be some survival of prime age bucks. It's hard to... It's hard to hear that 50% adult, um, mortality and that's collared deer, but that, that, mm -hmm. that one, it's hard to hear that, uh, you know, maybe half of the deer are off the landscape. That's a tough pill to swallow for sure. Yeah, man. And again, I, I think that the thing that people get lost in is like, what are you going after? Like where are yep. you at in your deer hunting category or where in your deer hunting experience? Because you know, there's plenty of people out here who are just wanting to kill a four point, maybe, you know, <laughs> like, or just trying to like, you know, get their feet wet hunting out West. And if that's you, then, then probably H and G and those winter affected areas probably aren't going to be good for you. Cause they're going to have to wait, you know, sit out through uh, lower deer numbers overall, you know, but I think that's where the, that's where the conversation needs to start is like, what are people looking for? Because people like you, you know, you've proven it and you know guys like you and robbie you can go into an area with relatively lower deer densities than it used to be and still turn up those those next level deer it just takes a lot it takes a lot of time and patience yes, man you sure. guys you guys i mean live on that mountain during season yeah and that's the hardest part is i think uh for a guy that uh maybe he's experienced like maybe he's went to g 10, 12 years ago, or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it was eight years ago, whatever. And he's thinking, okay, I got these points. And this has been a common question is like, okay, so what should I do? Should I hold on to them? 
And, you know, my big thing is, too, is it's hard to know what's going to develop over the next, you know, three to four years. Like you said, some of these storm, like the way these storms come in, it's kind of cycles. You know, you look at, I think, 92, 93 were bad. We had multiple years in the early 80s that were rough. I mean, say we get another couple bad winters, um, you know, it could get worse. It really could. Um, Or, you know... Maybe it does turn around. I don't know. It's just those gambling things, but I've always been on the side. Like you are better off to hunt more often to try to go and just to get out there. I, I know some of these guys sitting on, you know, maximum points in Wyoming. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like you should be out there hunting. Like you should go. Um, but I know everybody's in different situations. So it's hard. It's hard. I, I get it. But I really, I, I always am on the side. Like, I think it's better just to be out there, go hunting. Um, but it might be rough. It's going to be very interesting. I can't wait um, to really get my boots on the ground and kind of see, like, from my perspective, what it, what it's like. Man, I agree with you there. It's going to be, um, and it's something you and I kind of were texting about. Like, I started a, a scouting journal last year mm-hmm. and it just so happened that i started that scouting journal right before a big winter right so i'll i'll be able to see and i think a lot of guys will be able to kind of compare year over year of like what is what does things look like for the hunter um because that's where our experience is impacted if all of a sudden like you lose a doe or you just lose the fawn crop for instance yeah it's not going to impact your hunting experience as much as the 50 <laughs> percent adult yep. survival so those are things people should take, take take into consideration. The other thing is like, and I kind of dabbled at this is like, look, if you're sitting on those max points or seven, eight points or more in Wyoming, there are other regions and particularly there's other limited quota opportunities that would be really fun. They're probably not going to have the top end, like insane potential as the Wyoming, that Western Wyoming stuff, but you can still go have a really fun hunt if you're not, if that's not what you're all about, you know? Um, so that's something for people to consider. Yes. I, that's so true. That's so true. And there really is, uh, there's a lot of opportunity, um, in Wyoming, like it's, it's a giant state and it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's deer from one end of it to the other. And there really is, I mean, I know there's some private property issues in some places, um, in some of these units, but a lot of units, man, there's so much public land. There's so many places to go out. And, and yes, I think, and big bucks have been killed in these, uh, I don't want to bring them up, but I know of just recently some fantastic bucks have been killed in these units that are not these famed, like the famed GHK units. There's, there is Mm -hmm. a lot of different opportunity in Wyoming. Yeah, absolutely. And especially the other thing that factor in is like the fact that this is going to be one of the best growing years that these places have seen in a long time. Um, those people on the Eastern part of Wyoming, as well as like Southeast Montana have talked about how it seems like the bunk, the buck antlers have kind of like shrunk up these last couple of years. Um, they just, there's been no moisture, right? And yeah. now, now we have moisture again. And so you could see some bucks that maybe got passed over these last couple of years, maybe blow up and actually throw a decent, um, by, by decent, I mean like probably even exceptional in some cases. Right. Yes. So yeah, you could, yeah. That, this is the perfect storm, um, mm-hmm. in that sense that you could really see just a giant blow up, um, 
I mean, from nowhere, like that 17 year, um, when I killed that deer in Idaho, so Robbie and I lab aged that deer three and a half years old and was 226 inches. Like, so man, for a buck, you know, it just, there has to be so much right for that to work out. And that was after that brutal winter. So somehow a buck pulled through. I'm sure the brows was like the brows, the feed, the Forbes, everything was just through the roof. And I mean, to get that, that's maximum nutrition. And I really think that's, that's what we will see in some of these cases. You know, I think a prime age deer, you know, maybe he's four to five years old. He's kind of sitting there. He survived. Um, he had a rough winter, but he's going to go in and he's going to just be packing on the nutrients for months here. It's going to be very interesting. I'm, I'm super excited to get out there and kind of see. Um, and less competition. That's the other thing. When It, it sucks mm -hmm. to talk about that 50% reduction, but that's that just cut the competition for those deer that did survive in half. So it's very interesting to think about what kind of potential could be on the landscape and what could um, unfold this. I, I'm super excited. Yeah, man. And that's something I wanted to bring up is folks get really frustrated and in some elements, rightly so, but uh, folks get really frustrated as non-residents looking at Wyoming and saying like, well, there's just going to be a horde of residents still out there. Why are they trimming back on the non-residents and like i think in some instances that you, that's a valid argument but what you also see you kind of alluded to is like these harsh winters the resident participation mm -hmm. drops it like was a thousand fewer hunters in the field in the fall of 2017 than the year prior um in the wild in the wyoming range in that's the wyoming very range interesting that's a very interesting statistic so yeah has and, that and, that's probably the only time has that ever happened like has there ever been a reduction in like that so, of that many people yeah so wyoming's resident deer sales uh -huh. the resident tag sales have gone down every year since then interesting yeah and it's really like you know again i, I think there's probably an element of like um people kind of getting disgruntled with hunting in other parts of the state too mm -hmm. right but you look at just Lincoln and um, Sublet counties, mm -hmm. and their tag sales have gone down for residents um, every year since then. So you definitely see, like, when the hunting's not good, residents opt not to go. And with these other campaigns, you know, the Epic Outdoors campaign and then this other campaign that's going on in Wyoming, like, you probably will see people just not hunt who are residents. Um, so I, yeah, I, that's I do interesting. expect. I've, I've, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, you know, cuts. I that's an interesting thing. I always thought they would still be buying tags, whatever, and they just maybe, yeah, would skip over it or wouldn't go. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's really, hmm, that's very interesting to me. And I definitely think, like, it sure would be nice to have a little better, like, hunter surveying in Wyoming. Yeah. But this is just looking straight, strictly sales okay. and where those tag sales come from. Cool. Um. So anyway, folks can look that up if they want to check it out. It's pretty interesting stuff. What, what are your thoughts, Jaden? And I'm glad. So talking about residents, um, what are you, I, I've, I've watched a few of the different meetings, as you know, like we've communicated during some of them and just like um, the meeting, I, I, I'm not even sure what that's called. It's a town hall that they had. Was that in Pinedale? 
Yeah. Yeah. And that was like an emergency meeting that okay. the governor and the director put on. They did one in, <laughs> they did one, that one in Pinedale and then they tried to do one in Rock Springs, but the <laughs> roads got shut down. Oh, and gotcha. so they just did vertical oh, okay. or virtual. Yeah. But I, I still think, so it's kind of an interesting um, thing to talk about. I still think how cool this is. I, <laughs> I'm just blown away because I do not know of another state that the governor would show up for a mule deer town hall talking about when, well, I shouldn't say mule deer it was anal, pronghorn too, but the governor of the state showed up to listen to his constituents like hunters um, concerns. And they were talking about what was happening basically with winter mortality, that kind of thing. I, I just, I was thought that was so cool that the governor actually showed up, but like I worry as I watch these, videos and i see hunter sentiment and you know in the past year i have seen more of this uh shut the hunt down type movements um it, it's gained i mean there's quite a bit of traction about people you know and you just hear them at the local coffee shops they need to just shut the hunt down for three years they need to do this they need to do that and I just, what are your thoughts like in the future as wyoming like as a wyoming resident i just I guess I see the writing on the wall that I think that the resident opportunity to hunt basically statewide, um, I just feel like there's change coming in the air. Do you, do you agree or what, what are your thoughts there? Like, what do you think is going to happen? So I have to be real careful here that nobody thinks that I'm speaking on behalf of the Federation on yeah. this one, because I just wanted Glad to point out that, that like, everyone that I've talked to has a different take on this mm -hmm. whole thing, right? Like everyone's like got their own version of what's going to be the solution that saves mule deer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you got like the way that we manage mule deer is both from a biological level, but also the social level. And yep. like the fact that if we want mature bucks on the landscape or more of them or less hunters or whatever, those are kind of like social issues. Yes. They're not biological ones. So, that's that's where this conversation has been wrapped up in because if you're only hunting bucks it like you don't control the trajectory of the population that's the it's mother nature and all the other factors yes so um i'm i want to look at this as a long-term like lens through the long-term lens of like on a you know on a year-to-year -year basis these kinds of things suck these years suck when something gets really hit really hard and then our initial reaction is going to say like well we should have made a change long ago and like we got to make a change now and i'm not so sure that's when the best decisions get made <laughs> yes so 100 i i don't want us to just knee-jerk reaction after this thing and by knee-jerk reaction i'm talking about like even a even a five-year like impact to a population is kind of a knee-jerk reaction when you're looking at generations of not only deer but of hunters who are hunting them right mm -hmm. and uh i'm a pretty young guy in this field like i'm still not even 30 yet so i think about this like gosh i've got i'm happy to ride out these these low points compared to someone who might be in their uh you know second half of their their deer hunting career and who wants a better experience when these these come along so yeah it just depends on who's gonna like what what wheel is gonna get the grease you know who's gonna be the squeakiest and um while i might not agree 
um, with like making drastic changes in Wyoming, you know, that is certainly a big movement that's coming along. So um, people will have to watch because I, I do see uh, there's a growing tide of people wanting changes and we'll just have to kind of see what happens. Yeah. It's just interesting to me to kind of watch from the outside looking in. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel that most of these states, like these opportunity states that are left for residents. So basically in my opinion, and I could be wrong here, but I think you have like Utah or not Utah, you have Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana is kind of some of the last states that really have kind of a general season, um, over the counter type hunting, um, available to their residents. And I just feel, I don't know, especially this last year, um, that I just changes in the air and it, I don't know, I, it concerns me, I guess, because mm-hmm. it's hard because I look at opportunity. It's so important, um, to give opportunity whenever you can have it. I think it's very important to keep people engaged in hunting, want to hunt long-term. You know, I think about it, man, when I was a kid, if I could only hunt it once every 10 years, I guarantee I would not be sitting on this podcast. I wouldn't even be talking about it. I wouldn't have, I would have done something else. I just would have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just hard for me to see, you know, the change, uh, just coming and I don't know. It's one of those things. It's just, it's interesting to watch unfold and what I've seen happen in the re- last, I don't know, 20 years, how much change has happened. Even the, like even the past 10 years, it's, it's amazing, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing that's developing. And I think, like you said, emotions run high, uh, especially after winters like this. And it's kind of crazy to just hear some of the comments and different things that are, being suggested it just makes me wonder where we're going to end up and yeah one of those things yeah and man it's it's tough because um again it's like you're going to be making a decision or a change that is going to change how people get into the sport in the future Mm -hmm. but what i also was telling you is like these license sales are going down Mm -hmm. um so i just have these pulled up for deer as well so in 2019 was about our last big spike actually 2020 so we sold 80 84,000 licenses across the state and now we're at 72 this year uh, in 2022 and probably going to see that go down again this year by a lot that's interesting so eight from yeah so from 2020 to 2021 it went to so 84,000 sorry 72 yeah in two years um Wow. That's... And that was before yeah, and that was before this ass kicker winner. I mean, excuse my French, but holy yeah, no. cow, you know. And see, and that's hard for me because I sit and listen to everybody complaining like in the fit like, well, at these meetings. I've been hearing residents complain about the amount of hunters the past couple of years. Um, that they're just out of control. Uh there's too many hunters in the field. Like that's and I I don't know, and it's hard for me because I look back in like the 80s 90s um like how many tags were being issued i don't know it's it's hard for me to swallow to listen to some people complaining about too many hunters in the field when (laughs) we're seeing i don't know that's an interesting that is crazy to me actually i think and i've had some conversations about this with some other good buddies of mine who who will 
hunt places that have been, they've been hunting since they were kids and be like, man, there's just more hunters in the backcountry. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like that's probably true. Mm-hmm. The other fact is like they probably are like they'll stay out there longer. And so you're seeing the five guys on the same ridge as you for not just the opening day, but you're seeing them for the next five days, and that's frustrating, right? Yep. But and equate to the overall picture. Um, and I think that the overall picture is important because that's like the whole group of people who are advocating to to keep hunting around and to yes. keep, you know, especially, you know, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, maybe hunting isn't in the crosshairs, but in a lot of states it is. And it makes me nervous, you know, when we're trying to chip away at these opportunities and uh, the chance that we might not have so many people who are adamant hunters in the future it, it makes me real nervous for sure and i and i see too um kind of this mix of whether it's you call it controlled hunt limited entry um special draw whatever so you have these different states that call it different things but i see this like we're trying to bring general season type hunting to this controlled like limited entry whatever like they're kind of almost on this path to merge um and I see that more like it's just I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to hear people they basically want to have all these big bucks. They want to use all the technology um at their disposal that we have right now. And then and then they're mad when they don't draw a tag. And it's just I don't know. It's just one of those mm-hmm. things. I'm glad I'm not a wildlife manager. I guarantee it because they have their hands full. I know that it's just hard to satisfy and keep everybody happy. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And, it, and at times it sucks because I feel like hunters are honestly um, in the name of whether they want to be, you know, trophy hunting or do they want bigger bucks on the landscape. I don't know. But I feel like we're cutting our our opportunities all in the name for that. And that kind of is hard Mm -hmm. for me to take just, just watching. And as I, knowing how I grew up and having all the opportunities in the world to get a deer tag and to go on a regular basis. I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's tough to see. It's hard. Yeah, man. And the other thing that I've, this is something I kind of want your, I want your opinion on is like the reason why I like to chase mature bucks and I've not, definitely not put in the time or gotten any of the critters that guys like you have. But the reason why I like to chase bigger bucks though, is because there's, you know, it's, it's not something that everybody can do on these easy to draw units. It's like there, there's a skill to it. They're not just running around everywhere and you have to put in the time. And like, that's what makes it kind of fun and alluring to me. And um, I think that people are trying to like click the easy button when we just make it, uh, all limited something or other and like oh there's only 25 people for these 8,000 deer that means I've got to get my 200 inch deer um, that's also a bill of sale that people can't cash at the bank of mother nature as I like to say it's just like not gonna happen <laughs> yes no 100% man and I sit and look at some of these guys that are sitting on you know 20 plus points in various states you know and back years ago even you know 10 years ago 20 points that like guaranteed you some animal, like some big animal, like, Oh, if I wait 10 years, 15 years. Well, the truth of that is that's not happening nowadays. Like I I know guys that have burned, 
oh, like high teens into the 20s points in states like Colorado, Utah, and honestly come home with bucks. The bigger bucks are killed on the Wyoming general every single year. Like it's just, it's one of those things. It's just hard to kind of watch, you know, the, in all these States, it's all coming kind of to a head. These States are running into these point creep issues. Um, How are we going to do this? Um, You know, young kids coming into the draws in these various States. I, I, I heard some statistics, Um, man, it's like a hundred years to catch up like they would have to live to be 112 13 years old to ever catch and that's like some of the best case scenarios some of these states it's just it's unbelievable how long it will take to catch up and it's but then again i i've been on the other side where i've got all this investment too and and preference points bonus points whatever the state may be it's just one of those things that's it's interesting man and the loss of opportunity worries me a lot. I just, I think about it all the time. Um, again, I talked about it like, man, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have hunting to grow up with and, uh, mm-hmm. to learn and kept me out of so much trouble. So it's hard to see. And I know there's a bunch of kids out there that just love it. They eat it up and I know there's opportunities, but man, what about the kids? Uh, I don't know. That just, don't have a lot of the funds to go to different states when they can't even hunt their home state on a regular basis just scares me kind of the way some of these things are going so i don't know it's an interesting thought i just i could not imagine wyoming um like to limit um resident participation uh in you know the wyoming range specifically it's a crazy thought if you'd have told me that five ten years ago i'd have thought you were nuts but I look and I see the future and I, I just wonder if the writing's on the wall a little bit. It's interesting. Um, some of the comments I hear and some of the way people are pushing makes me wonder where we're going to end up. Onyx Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry. And one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the Onyx Hunt app. Updates like the new Onyx in-dash navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, Viewing Onyx Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from Onyx to the road in front of you, ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the Onyx Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the Onyx Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout. Yeah, and I think right now we have to determine like what we want as a hunting public because like a good example with the Wyoming range is like people want... Uh, I think the majority of people who want to limit it are more looking at um, like the hunter crowding piece of it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there's an argument to be made that says like, well, if you can still go do your one week trip or three day weekend in the Wyoming range, but then go back to your house in Laramie or Cheyenne or Casper and hunt out of your backyard there, you're not going to kill deer as quickly as if you just have to hunt that one place. Uh, I don't know how that pans out in reality, but 
yeah, I agree with you. It's just kind of like shooting yourselves in the foot, depending on what you want out of the situation. Yeah. Um, no. what are your thoughts? So point creep, um, in Wyoming specifically like non-residents, I I'm super curious. I, I'm very curious to see what happens this year as far as point creep. So it's been very heavily on the news on people's radar. If we've talked about like this rough winter, I, I, what, like if you had to, if you had a magic ball or you could guess, what do you think? Like G H, um, do you think they're going to have a reduction? Like, so do you think less people put in, like maybe you could draw with less points? Do you think more people are going to jump in and we're going to see that typical, I don't know. It, it's varied from about, I think it's about 0.75 points a year that it's increased the past few years, uh, maybe a half point. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any guesses or what, if you had to say a guess? Yeah, but I think that those units or those regions in the case of deer where there's big cuts, you know, you mm -hmm. look at going from 600 region H tags to 400. Mm -hmm. um, even if there's a reduction in applicants, I think that that's going to jump pretty good just because yep. there's so few tags. Um, they cut, I think... <laughs> 50 tags off of G at the commission meeting just because they wanted to. And <laughs> yeah, that was uh, <laughs> kind of interesting. I, I had a hard time understanding why H was get. Yeah. Anyways. So H got a H just to give people a little background. So I think, yeah. is it right? H had a 200 permit reduction. Um, yep. that was the biologist recommendation. Is that correct? Yeah, and then the biologist yep. in G recommended zero tag cuts. Yeah, because the non-resident hunters are already like less than ten percent yeah. of the participation up there. Yeah, oh, I'm glad you mentioned that too because I wanted to talk. We'll, we'll put that on pause, like ninety ten splits. But yeah, so okay. um, so basically, you had two hundred a two hundred tag reduction in H. Um, in mm -hmm. G had a 50. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm pretty certain it was 50. That's what I was thinking. And then K was there a reduction in K? Yeah. A reduction of 50 licenses in K from 250 to 200. Okay. And that's, so that's non-residents. And then as everybody knows, or if you don't know residents, so these regions, so if somebody says like region, uh, with a letter, that is a general season for residents. So residents statewide can come and hunt those kind of like on just their general season deer tag. So basically the only real way to reduce hunter participation as far as like to regulate it would be to cut tags, non-resident tags to, to kind mm -hmm. of sum it up. Yeah. And the way that, so, and this is what the game official tell you too, is the way that they, manage residents is they do season length and antler point restrictions. Yep. Glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And then the way they manage non-residents is by these tag quotas. Um, so that's why you'll see they cut a week off of hunting seasons in regions G and H and added a three point APR antler point restriction yep. in regions G and H as well. Jaden, could you comment? So there's been some pretty good push on antler point restrictions it's kind of an interesting thing because I, i've heard so many um people uh, strongly against antler point restrictions and i personally have been against it too because i i've just i've struggled with it but one thing that was brought to my attention was 
if you could offer more opportunity by an antler point restriction. So basically, you could still let a bunch of people out in the field, but you could try to save some of those um, like yearling bucks. Can you kind of, do you know like Wyoming's like what their thought is on that and how it's worked in the past? Because there's so many mixed, there's a lot of mixed information and a lot of mixed feelings about that. I, the general consensus is that antler point restrictions are really good for getting a uh, an one and two year old age class mm-hmm. into the population. Um, but if you're making everyone choose a three or four point buck, then you're going to high grade. So you're just going to have a population of a lot of one and two year old deer every year. And then they kind of get high graded and shot once they hit that three or four year old. Yeah. Um, that's that's the general consensus but but again it does like let younger deer live and if you have an any antler deer season the majority of the harvest happens on one and two year old deer yep one two and three so you know there's there's certainly some benefit in the short term to antler point restrictions but the long-term benefit is not is not there as far as like if you leave it on it it doesn't look it, it doesn't help a guy who wants a a mature buck in the long term yeah and wyoming's take on antler point restrictions that's kind of what they the more of a short term um is that correct i know that so yeah. they've been on for a little they were on for a little while after or did they put them on after the 17 yeah. winter i'm trying to remember this really they doesn't did. affect me so i don't pay much attention no they did and and so they just kind of like the thing that people need to pay attention to is the buck ratios, uh-huh. right? So if you have a high buck ratio, then you can offer more hunting opportunity. Yes. But what they see is basically like after these harsh winters, you know, you lose that incoming juvenile buck class, that one and a half year old, two and a half year olds even. And so they're just like not there. And so you want to protect the ones that did make it. That's the thinking. So that way you don't just all of a sudden have no bucks in two or three years. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it's very so interesting. They, they took it off there for, if it was, I don't know if it was one or two years. Okay. And then it come but back. Okay. That's what I was back. thinking. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I just wanted to hit, uh, well, I have a couple things that I wanted to hit. So the 90, 10 split on deer, elk and antelope, this has been, something that i have heard um so since so just to give people a little background so like your uh sheep moose um mountain goats let's see what else is there that's it right yeah Yeah. uh sheep moose mountain goat i guess bison bison. uh, yep one day maybe grizzly yep so (laughs) 90 10 splits so it used to be historically that wyoming offered it was an 80-20 split. So 80% of those tags went to residents, 20% to non-residents, which was an amazing split. Um, that I, That's giving uh, non-residents a whole bunch of opportunity, in my opinion, especially on those species. So was that last year? Was that two years? Or how long ago was that? Last year when they this, went to the 80 or the 90-10? This is the, yeah. And so this year is the first year okay. of that being implemented. Yep. Um, and actually I think it was 75, 25. Oh, that's right. It was 75, 25. You're right. I would, yep. You're right. It was, it was real generous for sure. Yes, for sure. And so I've heard a lot of people. So the, the commission basically 
went to a 90-10 split, which um, obviously it reduced the opportunity for non-residents to draw those tags and upped the resident opportunity. There's been some discussion, and and I, I was just curious do you know, like, is that gaining traction? Because I've heard so many people bring it up to me. They're like, well, I better get in before the 90-10 split. And I wanted to talk about G&H specifically um, and their allocation as it sits right now. And then just mm-hmm. kind of the overall, do you, do you feel like that's getting any traction? Or do, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think anyone got the memo that that kind of was sideboarded or like that was kind of, you know, like that was part of this big negotiation that they did within this wildlife task force they put mm-hmm. together. And, uh, essentially that was, uh, for all intents and purposes has been postponed, um, from the conversations for a little bit. Now, if someone who wasn't involved in that whole wildlife task force process wanted to bring it up again, they could, but I will say that there were some like really powerful members of the state legislature and the commission who were on that task force who, were part of this group that tabled this 90-10 notion for for deer, elk, and antelope specifically. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's, uh, like I said, I want to call that topic uh, table for a little while. Okay. Um, yeah. I've just heard so many people bring it up to me um, that they better burn their points before um, that it goes, the their tag reduction, like that there would be a serious reduction. And there would in, in a lot of places – there would be a serious tag reduction if it's, um, yeah, I mean, God, that's, that's basically, yeah, a big tag reduction. I just don't know if it's anything for people to panic yet. And that's kind of what I was curious is what your thoughts were is like, as far as it moving forward, if that's something that's going to be coming up or if it's going to stay, you know, just tabled, hopefully for now, from my <laughs> perspective, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's where I would put that. I mean, um, in the long term, anything can happen, but in the next couple of years, I think you'd be safe to, to bet without it, um, without it taking place. Yeah. Cool. And then the regular versus special prices. Um, Uh this is, so this is brand new for this season. Um, can you kind of touch on that and kind of how that come up and just where, where we're sitting? So, and again, it's kind of like came out of that wildlife task force with basically like the outfitters who are on the task force are real interested in an outfitter draw. Like, duh, they're just kind of trying to, they're, they're advocating for their business. Um, and then there was this whole element of like, well, if we go 90, 10 on sheep, moose, goat, bison, then we're going to lose revenue. And this is when I say we, you know, the game and fish would lose revenue. And so they wanted to be really kind of like they wanted to both appease some of the interests of the outfitters of uh, trying to have their clients draw more frequently as well as maybe come up with some way to, to account for the loss of dollars from these moose sheep goat uh, bison allocation change. So they increased the special fee was the short answer um, to deer elk and antelope. They also increased other fees um, for those other big species to try to make up for it. And if you do the math, um, they, they more than made up for it, uh, by quite a bit. But the idea was that after these special fees are implemented in 2024, then, uh, the drawing odds should be significantly better in the special pool. 
if you look, what happened was a bunch of people jumped into the uh, special pool during the non-resident elk applications, mm -hmm. and it took the same amount of points to draw the general in the special draw as it did in the general and that or in the regular draw. That and so that was interesting. Yeah, and so I would expect people to jump into the special this year. Uh, and so it, it might not, you know, depending on the amount of tags you're giving out in the unit you're looking for, it may or may not actually end up being a better deal than going through the regular. And, and it's it gonna, does go yeah. into effect this year, correct? The special price increase will be next year in 2024. Oh, it's not. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. Yep. Which is why everyone's jumping in right now, right? Into the special yep. draw because they're like, oh, I can get it at a lower price than what I'll get in 24. God, I and, was thinking uh, it went in this year. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's – so, see, that's a mistake on my – I was thinking it went in this year. So, well, I'm glad you brought it up, though, because, like, that's that's what people don't I, – I don't think they're always, like, factoring it in because, look, even the fact that it's going in next year is affecting this year's draws. Um, yeah, and do you – can you touch on – and I guess we should explain in case you don't understand. So, Wyoming – so – on that, so it's the the 25% available to non-residents. As I understand it, is it is it 50% that it, so or it's half a 60, of the tags? It's 60 40. 60% go to the regular price and okay. 40% go to the special price. So just to be clear, there so whatever so whatever is available to non-residents, 60% of the tags go at a regular price and then 40% go at a special price what they call special so if you're applying in wyoming you'll see you can apply in the regular or special you can't do both but regular or special and the regular price is is it half no it's uh it's about 60 percent of what the i mean i mean price wise is it is it half the cost to go to the regular i'm trying to remember a little less than half less right than half. now okay yep. yeah and it's going to jump up to i think deer tag is it over a thousand so so it'll go the regular price for a deer tag right now is 374 dollars. yep that will stay the same next year okay yep the the special price currently is 662 dollars that will go to twelve hundred dollars next so year. Twelve hundred dollars for a, yep, that's yep, that's quite a <laughs> jump. That'll be the most expensive non-resident deer tag by oh geez, that's got to be man Isn't by a long way. Couple ways. hundred bucks. Yeah, I think the the only thing that's close, I think, is Utah's uh, high high end tag is now yeah, they're limited entry. Or... Yep, and not like, yeah, yep. And they did just recently raise the non-resident general season too. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, That's so really interesting to talk about the special. That it's so funny because I, I yeah, to the, the odds were actually the same. That that's so crazy. Yeah, I, and I say that like there was seven percent of people at four points who got the tag in the regular draw, mm -hmm. uh, the general tag. And then it was like 23% or something like that. Oh, okay. You know, got it at four points in the special. So there was a slightly different, but literally five points in both categories guaranteed you the tag. Um, so yeah, just keep that in mind when people are putting in for these other draws, 
you have enough things to think about i know with tag yeah. cuts and, yeah. <laughs> and like it's, it's, all this other stuff yeah, yeah. Well, and it's very interesting to talk about too. And I, I really do wonder it, it's, it just has me wondering, like, I'm really curious, like how many people are going to say no way on this $1,200 tag, or I wonder, I, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see. I think demand's still going to be there. There's still going to be, it's, it'll be crazy to see what, uh, what percentage mm-hmm. of people are, will go for it. So yeah, very and interesting. I- I think there certainly is going to be a consistent it's it might be a little bit more consistent um which is going to be their goal with being easier to draw the special right yeah. like it feels like it's going to have hit the point where that demand is going to drop a little bit i think it's so. still there's i i would not imagine a world where any of those licenses go unpurchased though no you know like, like I w- there's no, a lot of demand still for sure that's the thing is like the demand is so high um especially you know it's crazy to think about um i think it was like 2006 i think i was getting a region g tag around that time you get one every other year or somewhere around there like every, maybe every two years but it's just crazy to think of what it's went to now it's just it's pretty wild to me so yeah i uh it just goes back to like you know that the number one thing that prevents major point creep though is making sure there's no tag cuts man yes i mean that's, that's for sure that's as deadly to point creep as more applicants in the year-to-year basis you I'm know it's just so really glad you said that it. Cause that, that is so true. Like, yeah, a reduction in tags. That's yeah. That <laughs> yes, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, so. predator reduction, Jaden, just one last thing. So I I've kind of heard some rumor and talk of predator reduction. Um, you know, maybe increasing mountain lion quotas, bear quotas, that type of thing. Have you, uh, heard, much on that or kind of where things are shaken out there it sounds like so they normally set these quotas i think on a three-year basis Mm -hmm. and instead of letting we just set the quotas last like this winter behind us Mm -hmm. uh instead of waiting another three years it looks like they're going to open them up and see where they can make some changes this year gotcha um that, that sounds like what they're looking at so um that'll happen in the next year um, the one thing that's kind of, and I, I've talked to you about this, Travis, is like, uh, Wyoming operates on this limit system where once you hit a mortality limit of females, the season shuts down. Yep. Um, but in some of these places, if they're not reaching the mortality limit, you, you can't kill more faster if they're already not hitting the limit yet. So it's going to sure. be, it's going to be, um, I don't know if it, it's going to be doing if they want to be killing more critters in these places they're gonna have to uh you'll look at other changes too probably you know you and i had talked about like there's some big winter range closures um out in in regions g and h and if they want to kill more deer you kind of have to get access you have to get uh access to the houndsmen yes yeah to the houndsmen to hunt there so um there's pieces here that like i think that just um yeah, there, there's challenges to that whole situation. So yes, for sure. I don't, I don't want to be totally talking out of school. I don't know predator management and all that stuff very well. So gotcha. I'll just be watching it for sure. Yeah, and then I so is there going to be like I was just curious. So right now, 
um, bears, bear meat is kind of optional to bring out. Is that correct in Wyoming? Yeah. Yeah. So, and they were kind of talking about maybe, um, like requiring bear meat to be taken out, that kind of thing too. Is that, is that still something they're discussing? Yeah. And that's something that Jess has really worked on hard. She's done a really good job of like doing good research, getting really good partners with it. I mean, we had everyone from Boone and Crockett club to RMEF to wild sheep. And, um, of course, American bear foundation working on that with us last year. So we're going to bring, probably look at bringing that again, just cause we want, we don't want like these anti hunters to be like, well, you can't bring, you don't have to bring the meat out. Why would you ever have a grizzly bear hunt? Mm-hmm. And we're like, all right, you suckers, we'll bring the meat out. You know, yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. if we can get these hunts through, like if that's what it's going to take, like, um, you know, those, those species, there's already a lot of folks eating them. And I personally eat all the bears and, uh, I'll eat lion if we have it. And, uh, I think it's great, but it's just that notion of like, look, there's a bigger p- picture thing here that we can, can fight for, you know, and trying to get those bears off the list. And, um, I think that that might be a little bit more palatable, excuse the pun, yeah. <laughs> uh, to those, uh, to those anti hunters or uh, no, let me back it up. It's not more palatable to the anti hunters. It's more palatable to the non hunters who may pick a side. You yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. That's a good, but that, I'm glad you, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I, I've been super, I've been interested in following it. I, one thing I was thinking about, and just, this was like playing devil's advocate was, you know, it's funny how some of the access in like the higher parts of Wyoming. So some of the high country, really some of those bears, the only time they're really targeted is going to be in like the fall, um, deer during deer and elk, um, seasons, basically. Um, one thing I was curious about was, I know a lot of hunters, it's kind of amazing. I've been, uh, you know, in GH, um, I've seen bears, you know, walk through a basin full of deer and elk hunters and nobody's killed the bear. And I've always been curious, like, huh, that's interesting. I wondered, and you know, and I'm sure a lot of them have a tag in their pocket. And I know for me personally, it's hard for me to like switch gears and want to shoot a bear while I'm deer hunting just because it it just changes the whole dynamic. But one thing I was kind of curious is if there is a requirement to bring meat out like all and i don't know how they'll break it down maybe it'll be um select cuts just i don't know what they'll do but it's just interesting to me i wonder if that would be counterproductive like maybe more guys would be like hey i'll i'll take a bear if i just have to get the hide out um but if i gotta pack the whole thing out maybe i'm not going to it's just one of those interesting things um and then some of the season structures too uh you know, some of that country, you really can't get in it. I know there's places, um, up in that Wyoming high country that, you know, access is very limited till, you know, even in that, uh, mid June to July, some year like this year could be, you know, even as late as almost July to get access into some of it. It was just kind of curious. I was curious if they've ever thought about, you know, split seasons or trying to get, just more just more people out hunting in that high country where where deer and elk are fawning and calving i've just been curious about that so it's just an interesting thought yeah and the nice thing is is there are a significant increase there was like a 25 percent increase or something in black bear hunters these last since 2020 um it's still like you know you compare that to ungulate hunters it's, Mm -hmm. it's not 
not much in comparison, but um, I think we're going at least they're trending in the right direction as far as getting people out hunting these things. So hopefully That's we can awesome. keep that momentum going. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be one of I them this you. weekend. I'm headed. So I'm coming up there this weekend. So I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, it's, it, you know, we've been talking about it. It's, it's freaking fun. I, I just, but you're right. Especially on years like this, I, uh, we set our first bait, um, that I've ever set in Wyoming last Friday in a place. So that was like the 19th of may mm -hmm. and um we've usually been able to get there april 15th yep so you know we're a month behind getting into these places and um it's just really been tough for that opportunity i think it's gonna yeah that, that's gonna play a big impact and and again it goes back to that like well frick you, you can't you know you can have an unlimited mortality limit in these places on females but they're you know if the conditions aren't such that they get the harvest it doesn't doesn't make a difference for um, sure so yeah i don't have any solutions for you though i don't yeah no well <laughs> i'm, I'm just sure. uh, yeah just more or less discussion and yeah no it's all good man um i'm just i'm just excited i didn't get to go i did, i couldn't break away from work it's been too crazy to get out there um i always have been for the wyoming antler opener i've always tried to make it and i was so curious you know it's been interesting talking to um, a lot of close friends that went out there and, you know, and I was really curious, like, Hey, how bad was it? Was there tons of deer and elk? Yeah. I mean, like, what were you seeing? Was there dead elk? Was there dead deer antelope? And, you know, and some of them, it was kind of interesting. Some of them told me no matter where they went, the smell of death was everywhere. There was just deer laying all over. Um, yeah, it's, I didn't get to go. So I'm excited to get out there bear hunting so yep i'm gonna be heading this weekend for usually i try to do this annually um some sort of a bear hunt whether i'm in canada but i love going to wyoming it's been a lot of fun so i'm gonna get up there this weekend i'm super excited to get up there and see what kind of deer i see cruising around won't be much antler growth but who knows what we'll see i'm pretty excited to kind of at least lay my eyes on the landscape and have a look so i'm excited Dude, I'm right there with you. I've got uh, I've got a backpack bear hunt in what would be like Region H um, nice. next week. Uh, just trying to trying to go check out some of that same country that you're looking at and seeing if we can see anything alive that's not an elk up there. So yeah, um, <laughs> I'm sure that the, <laughs> that's the one thing in all this that we we haven't really touched on is like people will often I see this on the forums all the time. They're like, ah, you know, like why didn't they cut any oak tags? They're increasing oak tags, and it's like, yeah, those big stinky yellow school buses you can't <laughs> you can't kill yeah, them with they the, just freaking keep yeah. you know, their population keeps increasing and yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it is a good and i will say you know like depending on how summer scouting works like it's certainly in my uh plans this year to spend a little bit more time elk hunting um uh, you know just in general um it's a good year you know if you've just been kind of like sure. on the fence of whether or not you're going to do it if you've got any hesitation at all and you know, that's not a bad year to, to, you know, go on an elk hunt. hundred percent, man. I agree. Like, yep. There's going to be, we missed the opportunity. Non-residents missed any opportunity for elk hunting really in Wyoming this year. That comes in an application in January. That might clear a little, a few questions people have, but yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, 
it's going to be awesome, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for this year. I can't wait to get out there. This is like my favorite time of year coming up. I love scouting season. I absolutely love it. I almost love it more than hunting itself. I just love being out there and seeing what I can find. So can't wait. Dude, I absolutely agree with you. It's like hunting season. That's the best part about being a deer hunter, man, is, is you can start your hunting season in, in June, July, if you want, and you can go through the end of your hunting season in the fall. So 100%. it's like, oh, it's, it, I totally agree with you. It's like, I probably start uh, hitting it hard about 4th of July. When, when do you start really actually looking for antlers? You know, so like typically heads? my trail camera running so i really i i put out a lot of trail cameras i usually really start um i usually start around memorial day weekend just when i can start getting access it's kind of limited and this year is going to be tricky uh especially in a lot of places but i like you said it's like around that july time frame is when i can really start to look at antler development and start to get some sort of a guess is like okay this bucks might be worth um looking at saying that um this is kind of an interesting story so a couple years ago last time i had a wyoming tag um i actually saw this buck and i'm sure it's crazy but he ended up so where i spotted him when i was bear hunting and I was like, man, and I, I noted, like, that's a really good book. But you never know, like, are they on their way up following green feed, or are they going to stay there? Well, coincidentally, maybe it was the same deer. It's kind of hard to be sure, but a really large deer was killed right there. We ended up finding him during season in that same vicinity. Kind of interesting, man. So sometimes it can definitely work out, depending on what topography you're hunting, elevation, that kind of thing. But I, I definitely try to pay attention, I guess we'll say, even as early as, uh, you know, the first part of June, end of May. Man, I like that. I think, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Jim, I don't remember, Carr. Yeah. He did a really good early early scouting episode on Rock on the Rock Cast a while back and I yes. he's the first one to put it in my brain and now you're saying it too so uh, you know it's probably worthwhile to to be checking things out especially in these areas where they're not you know they can access the place they'll be in in the fall so 100 percent, especially in a place where you can go get you know a bear tag you're you're out there i mean i i just feel like i'm kind of being productive too early season like i'm, I'm out there for one other reason and, it, and it's just it's just a good excuse i guess more than anything to get out there it's better than hunting turkeys i think <laughs> uh, yeah. i agree with you there man yeah <laughs> Someday I'm going to have to try it, I guess. I'll have to get serious. I got some close friends that love it. So, but until then, I'll always give them uh, as much shit as I can. (laughs) That's good for them. Jaden, I really appreciate you, buddy. Hey, I appreciate you, man. And thanks for having just a really good conversation about this stuff. Um, Also, hey, keep putting out the good stuff with Robbie. It's uh, all of this deer hunting content that you do and the stuff where you're talking about actual biology good facts and data you know we didn't even get to any of the utah stuff that you said you might have had some updates yeah and on, i do so. got some good stuff coming down the pipe and i'll, I'll try to get through, i gotta get another i actually yeah i got some really good stuff to come down the pipe on that and kind of updates on 
kind of what their winter mortality was. And then some of those feeding studies. So we kind of got that all finalized. I think there's some really good stuff. Um, just talking about how that kind of worked well better than anybody really anticipated, especially on that brutal winter. And then I think too, it's important for people to, to just, to just understand how these management agencies are coming up with tag numbers and why they're recommending what they are. And I, I think I've got some pretty good guests lined up. I, uh, I, I'm pretty excited for that. So it should be cool. I hopefully, hopefully it's some good information for people. That's awesome, man. Well, I'll be listening to all of them. I love these, these shows. So keep them coming. I appreciate yeah. It. Robbie's done. Well, it's just awesome that Robbie, um, I was begging him to do it. I was thinking, man, you really got to do it. <laughs> Everybody loves to listen to Robbie talk about stuff and it's just awesome the way he breaks down information and it's super cool. And it's very informative. I think for sportsmen, um, instead of just listening to coffee shop biology to kind of listen to these management agencies and how they, you know, just the, all the details and the, everything that they're, they're going through trying to come out with, why do we set tag numbers where we do like all these things? It's just, it's super cool. And I think it's been pretty, I know the responses that I've gotten have been pretty overwhelming like people are just loving what robbie's been doing and i think it's awesome so dude yep i do too well good stuff man thanks for having me on again i really appreciate it and uh thanks to anyone on rock slide who's who's buying commissioner's tag yeah, get uh, raffle tickets get dude this rock slide like community buys so many of them i appreciate it so much every year yeah so, we've had a member a win it so that's uh, hopefully we can make it another one yeah, absolutely. And what's fun is, you know, Frank, when he won it, he ended up sharing his whole story on the rock slide live hunt and hunting stories That's for so him. Cool. So hopefully that'll happen again. We'll see. Right on, buddy. Thank you, man. Hey, thank you. Have a yep. good night.